Welcome to the first episode of Flow Logic. I'm Dr. Don Castelvi. I'm Jim Watson, construction guy. And we're going to be talking about uh, mental health, mental health in the workplace, in particular for people who are construction workers, trade guys, the direct line staff, uh, people who don't often get a lot of opportunity to be supported around mental health and being able to get promotion around their self-care. It's still a taboo subject to talk about mental health. In the field that I'm in, in particular, it's, yeah. uh, we're all tough construction people and we hide our feelings. We don't want to share anything. And at the end of the day, everyone has stress and we have yeah. to declutter and deal with it. So it's a good opportunity for us to uh, take these things out and take a look at them through a set of clinical eyes. There you go. There you go. I can't tell you how many times I've had guys where I've had this conversation and that first part of that conversation, they're wondering, well, you're going to think I'm crazy. Well, I can't tell you that, right? Yeah. And they can't talk about their feelings either. We have to frame everything in thoughts and we can keep it at a distance. And I think, you know, I, it's unfortunate because I end up hearing these circumstances in which people are not comfortable with just simply expressing themselves, not comfortable with just understanding where they're at. And that's a key aspect towards people's quality of life is being able to own all those pieces of ourself, whether or not it's fantastic, whether or not it's something we can put up on our Facebook and say, hey, look how happy I am. It's also to say, hey, as a whole person, there's all these different dynamics with myself, right? And I have to be aware of it and I have to be able to support that. Well, talking about it is tough. It, it really is because, like, it's, again, in the field of construction, you want to shell up. You don't want to share your feelings because it makes you look weak. Sure, yeah. You know, and that's, yeah. that's a big dynamic, yeah. right? You don't want to look weak when you put on your team. It's quite a narrative. It's a very judgmental narrative. And unfortunately, while you have everyone experiencing so many things, if we're only talking about a singular narrative, then the only time that you actually start addressing it is when it bubbles up, right? When it becomes an incident, right? And then exactly. all of a sudden it's like, hey, why is this guy... Um, you know, getting angry. Why is this guy blowing up? Why is this guy, um, you know, abusing substances, right? What's, why is he late? Why is he having mental health days? All these sorts of dynamics, it ekes out, right? These are the symptoms of what happens of unattended to mental health. Exactly. When I think about like an incident that takes place, um, one of the things that comes up is the mind wasn't on task. But what I mm -hmm. want to find out is why the mind wasn't on task. Mm -hmm. What were the drivers? What sure. were the interrupters? What mm -hmm. happened to that individual that they weren't, you know, in a state of flow? Sure. The key aspect that I'm thinking about, and this is probably the second point, I guess, really, with, uh, with the podcast, is that we want to take a really critical review and discuss how we address issues, perspective taking of all persons, no judgment, not this like, guy was a bad guy, this guy was a crazy guy, this is what can be done different. We want to name the dynamic and we want to critically review situations, real life situations, and actively think about what wellness looks like. And we talk about it as active wellness because wellness is not something that just happens to you, right? It's not just like on this day, hey, I felt really good. If you're finding yourself in a situation where wellness is something that comes and goes, if wellness is something that you think is just kind of passively occurs, right, good day, bad day, that kind of stuff, then that means that when you do have an optimal day, it's going to be fleeting because you will not understand what were the ingredients that went into that day to make it work. What was it about you and your environment that interacted, right? What was the synergy of your experience that said, yeah, this works for me, right? If you don't understand that methodology, then happiness will be fleeting. Right? Happiness, enjoyment, wellness will all be fleeting. So we really want to take a critical look at that. And I want to be able to bring up the whole point that it's not just about individual. Unfortunately, self-care is unfortunately labeled as self-care. And the reality is, is that self-care is improved significantly when you feel like you're supported by an overall group that also cares about your self-care. And so what we're going to be talking about is also the workplace, right? How culture. many? Yeah, culture, culture. Think about how many times we've been asked and you've been asked to improve the culture. We have to address this culture within a company. Well, that's just, and that's why I brought you in on a couple of jobs because culture was going south. I'm not a clinician, definitely not a doctor. Uh, so that's why I brought you in mm -hmm. because we need to diagnose what is the drivers to these negative behaviors within this culture. Yeah. It's not the person, it's the behavior yeah. that needs to be addressed, yeah. if I'm understanding it right. Yeah. Well, you know, part of this piece is, is that it's not just about what the individual can do, which is an incredible amount of empowerment we can have with a particular individual. 
but it's also systemic change, right? It's that cultural change piece. How can we create an environment where we have a common language, right? Where that narrative that is judgmental and punitive and shaming toward a particular person because they've expressed themselves in some sort of way is removed and we're more moving forward together as a group because the mental health of a group helps everybody, right? It's like the rising tide floats all boats, right? This is how we end up moving together. And it, like I mentioned earlier on about achieving that state of flow because those are the best days at work is when you first break rolls around and you go, geez, it feels like I've only been out here for five minutes, but you've been hard at it for two and a half hours, three hours, yeah, and yeah. time just flows by yeah. and you're completely in the moment. <laughs> it's, so, it's so true and that actually brings to, you know, a lot of our audience might not even understand what flow means, right? And so flow logic, when we think about it, the word flow was actually coined by a Hungarian psychologist back in the 70s. Um, he was a part of uh, University of Chicago and he was studying actually what allowed people to maintain a level of enjoyment and pleasure even though they weren't getting a secondary reward like money or some sort of external incentive. There was no shiny object, there was no golden handcuffs that said, keep on doing this and you'll get this external reward. They were finding happiness and enjoyment in what they were doing. And what's really interesting how he described it was is that he ended up saying that once you're in this state in which you are um, very connected to, attuned to what was happening, there's a feeling of being very alert, very strong, and also having this effortless control and the idea of effortless control is that we're, we're having this unselfconscious. And I know it sounds like a, a strange kind of way of termin uh, terminology, but being very self-conscious is that I'm very aware of myself and my surroundings. I might have anxiety about things. I might be thinking about more about the order and sequence of things versus being present in the here and now. And what he's saying is that when you're able to have that attunement to a situation in which you're not so distracted by so many other things, you're able to have this flow. And he first applied it, surprisingly enough, to athletes. And he talked about, you know, being in the zone, right? So athletes and sports figures throughout uh, the world talk about getting into the zone. How can you have this optimal experience? And so from there, it's been to artists and writers and numerous people around being in a state in which they're on the ball, things are clicking, right? It just makes sense, I'm flowing. And the actual term flow came from um, feedback that he was getting from all of his research in which he would say that, I feel like I'm flowing like a current in a river, right? I'm just kind of moving along. That's where the, the term flow actually even came from. Yeah, that's excellent. Like I really didn't understand the term until you mentioned it to me. And sure. It also plays well into safety culture mm -hmm. because when you take in safety and it becomes part of your DNA, it's effortless. You just yeah. know that something's not right, it needs to be corrected. Right. And instead of struggling with the procedure, struggling with the safety rules, you know the safety rules, and it's just completely integrated. Yeah. The, um, um, and I, I want to definitely reference um, uh, the person who coined that term flow and did that research, his name is uh, Mahali, and it, it's, a, it's a Hungarian name, so I'm trying to, to be really clear with it. It is, um, uh, she sent me high, is how you would say it. She sent me high, is, is his piece. And he's talked about, he's really expanded it. And even though this came out in the 70s, what's really interesting is that in current day, like over the last 10 years, neuroscience has, has uh, demonstrated uh, the validity of his findings and being able to show it. And really what it ends up looking at, which is really interesting, is that rather than just simply having the thinking concentration parts of our brain that's all around problem solving and decision making, things of that nature. There's a nice comfort blend between our thinking centers of our brain as well as our emotional centers of our brain. So there's pleasure and enjoyment with truly engaging in something and not being so focused on just the task and getting it done and problem solving and things of that nature. So it's a blend of those two things that really works. And that's one of the hopes that, um, that I have about this podcast mm -hmm. is how do we achieve flow mm -hmm. and declutter with all the stress that we have on a work site. I mean, everyone has it. There's, there's always something that happens on a job site. It doesn't matter if you're a nurse, you're an iron worker, you're a carpenter. There's always, always some mm -hmm. type of stress that happens. So how do you declutter yeah. and achieve that state where you're in tune, everything's going along safely, everyone's getting along and the job's getting done. And that's at the end of the day, that's the satisfaction of the work that I do is like when you build something or you take something down or modify something, you have that satisfaction that you and your team actually achieved something that was 
good. Yeah. It's a great point because you might have a lot of people will hear about the idea that we're having a podcast around mental health, right? And you might have that group that already has that judgmental narrative that, oh, wow, it's, you know, everyone's a, you know, um, you're really weak. And so that's why we're, you know, I don't want to listen to that sort of thing. Uh, or there might be the judgment, okay, well, that's the doom and gloom show, right? I don't even want to, if you're depressed, watch this podcast. It'll help you out. And while we will be talking about things that are, are, dark and difficult and incredibly challenging that people experience in life from addiction to depression to anxiety to marital conflict to uh, workplace dynamics to gossip all those sorts of things our goal our feature is having an optimal quality of life how do we find ourselves in such a way where we can do the decluttering how we can build ourselves in our decision making and our processing to be able to say to ourselves i know how to optimize my experience so I can, more times than not, be in a state of flow. Because you can be in flow. You don't have to be an athlete. You don't have to, to be in the zone. You can be at a workplace. You can be, um, the only time that you're not in a state of flow is when you're being very passive. So watching TV, you're not gonna be in a state of flow, right? When you're just kind of passively taking in something, being a participant, you're not gonna actually be in a state of flow. Being in a state of flow is about active moving forward. And that's why we say active wellness. When you're actively engaging in something that has a degree of challenge to it and you're able to be present and attuned to it without being so distracted by these kind of external um, measures of, of success and things of that nature, but just being present, that is part of what that looks like. And so that's improving quality of life. And there's some jobs where people are over-challenged or not challenged enough. That's right. That's and that's, right. that's not healthy either. Sure. And when you're overchallenged on that job, if you have a culture in which you're thinking about self-care and improving, then that should just simply identify a professional development piece, right? Hey, look, we decided to add more training. How can we fine-tune this? Everyone doesn't have to know everything all the time. We don't always have to be perfect at what we do. We're not always going to ask questions that are the smart questions, right? We're going to ask stupid questions sometimes. Sometimes we're going to fub on something, right? We're going to have a certain margin of error that's going to occur on the job. If we have a degree of safety, and I'm referring to like psychological safety or social emotional safety, then I can express myself or say something that might be wrong or not be successful at, but if I can do so in a way that I'm still going to be cared for, supported, or my guys or my crew is still going to have my back, that allows that group to grow so much more than the group is like, yeah, as soon as you make a mistake, now we're going to rev you on it for, you know, two weeks, right? Three or four weeks. We're going to keep on it, the same joke over and over again. So everyone knows that if you make a mistake, you're going to be shamed for three weeks in the lunchroom. Right? Unfortunately, it happens. And it yeah. shouldn't happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, if you look at it from a team aspect, yeah, you're going to drop the ball every once in a while. Sure. Same with on the job site. It's only if someone gets hurt, then that's a, a failure, yeah. really. I mean, uh, if it's a small mistake, then it can be corrected. But to ride somebody over that small mistake and make, make that person feel like they're not part of the group or isolation, all the rest of that terrible stuff, I mean, it really doesn't do anything for the individual. Mm -hmm. And it really diminishes, I think, the group itself and its negative impact to the culture. It just keeps on getting worse. You know, we really should mention that, uh, you know, part of this podcast is in collaboration with Hard Hat Hunter, right? Hard Hat Hunter is a platform. Uh, the gentleman that owned there, in particular, Paul Robillard, um, he uh, also has a platform uh, or a construction company. And he sees this all the time. And you connected me with him. That is exactly right. So when I met uh, Paul, uh, it's actually Ed Goulet and Paul. Like Ed's the president. Paul's the vice president. And uh, when I was talking to, uh, to Paul about you, actually, in particular, the work that we've done in the past, and I said, you know what, man, I'd just love for someday to do a podcast with Don so we can talk about these issues. And that's when Hard Hat Hunter said, we'd love to, uh, we'd love to host it. So yeah. get her going. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and Paul in particular, you know, he shared that there's, he's, he's talking about the kind of the new generation of uh, uh, construction guys that he ends up supporting. He says, you know, gosh, you know, these, these younger crew, they have no problem saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm using these drugs or I had a, an issue at home last night or, uh, you know, I have a, um, I've had, have a history of, of abuse kind of thing and it's playing out uh, at the work site. He says, you know, these guys are like an open book as far as sharing. However, when you inquire further, he goes, they just don't know what to do about it. 
He goes, so right. they're of a generation where there's a certain level of acceptance around expressing some of these things to younger guys. He goes, the older guys, you can never get them to talk about it. Well, and even the guys like, you know, in their 30s and 40s, you never get them to talk about it. He goes, but the younger guys, he goes, they'll say it. He goes, but they don't know what to do with it. It's just like it, they're the walking wounded. And he goes, I don't know what to do. And so that was part of his discussion. He says, you know, we really need to bring this to the membership of Hard Hat Hunter, as well as he would love to be able to have it for his guys. And he, you know, and you and I both know this has played out years and years and years um, with different companies and organizations that have struggled with addiction, depression, suicide, um, workplace dynamics, whether it be one, one group disliking another group or tensions with supervisory people um, that can result in, you know, really serious matters. Well, it seriously impacts safety, without yeah. a doubt. Sure. You know, sure. for sure. Yeah, it's just, it says, it's, it really needs to be addressed. And that's why I'm really happy about uh, doing this with you. So, yeah. I think, I think uh, you know, we were talking about different ways of kind of capturing it. It's, uh, uh, the podcast is going to be like PPE uh, for the brain. Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah, personal protective equipment for the brain. It's going to be, uh, you know, wellness is, uh, active wellness is a skill that you actually develop. It's just like, you know, any of your trades, any of your tickets, it's a skill that you develop to be able to move forward. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was getting at about the, uh, the whole decluttering piece, which we'll get on, I guess, uh, this podcast and other podcasts coming, is that how you've had the stressful day, an issue happened, or maybe something's happened in your home life, yeah. and you brought it to the work site with you, or something's happened at work, and you bring that stress back home with you. Yeah. And it just impacts you 360 degrees. Sure. It just hammers you, really, at the end of the day. And us Gen Xers, we don't want to talk about it. So we may do things that aren't exactly healthy for us. Be sure. try to mask it. Sure. I'm thinking, whatever. And then you have the young generation, like you said, that are very open about it, but they don't know how to figure it out. What to do with it, yeah. And they're not getting anywhere with my generation because we're just like, why are you whining? Yeah, you that's know, right. Exactly. That's right. Which that's is right. terrible right. because when a guy, person, whomever, says that they have an issue, they're, they're, you know, they could have a good chance they're going to get shamed in the job site. Why'd yeah. you bring that up? You That's know, right. that type of thing. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we keep on talking about safety. And, and one of the things I'm looking forward to us talking about is holistic safety. And what is holistic safety? Holistic safety, at the end of the day, is recognized. Not only do we have physical safety, but you want to have psychological safety, social emotional safety. So I think it's psychological safety is I'm able to make a mistake and I can do so in a way that I'm not going to get my head chopped off or shamed by the group. Social emotional safety is really about understanding, you know, how can I understand the perspectives of other people so I can actually work through an issue so it's not just simply might means right, right? So it's right. not simply a situation in which whoever the big dog is in the group, that's what's going to win. Whether or not it's, it makes sense or whether it's appropriate or whether it's, it's successful or not, that's the way it's going to work, right? So we want to move away from that and be able to recognize once we look at all these aspects of ourself, we are going to be more apt to be able to have not only a better quality of life, but us as teams and groups are going to be able to flourish and be far more, uh, in a workplace environment, far more productive and efficient. So what would be a good example of breaches of psychological safety? And how do you rebound back from something like that? You know, well, there's a couple of things. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of great examples that we're going to be talking about sure, in the future. Yeah. But, the, um, uh, you know, I think when I look at the breaches, you're looking at in particular around invalidation, right? right. So let's say somebody comes up to you and the, um, they get confronted by a supervisor and it's in the lunchroom, right? And he makes, he shames the guy for saying something, right? And now all of a sudden that guy says to, him, says to himself, hey, look, you know what? Like, you're, you're not really listening to me. I went up to you and I said... You know, I was trying, trying to express what was going on, and you said, you know, you said that I was, I was weak or I was this. That's obviously an obvious breach. The other piece is that the supervisor then says, "Ah, come on, I didn't. I like you, man. You're a good guy. We can work through it, kind of thing. Um, I didn't embarrass you." The reality is, is that I don't have the right to tell somebody whether or not they were embarrassed in a situation, right? I can only let them know what my intention was, right? So, even if I think that. I disagree wholeheartedly that you were embarrassed, right? I said, I didn't see that kind of thing. And that person says they're embarrassed. I don't have the right to tell him or her um, whether or not they were embarrassed. What I can say is only what my intention is, right? But if I miss that step, I have this invalidating experience in which I said, nah, that didn't happen. It's not a big deal. You got to suck it up, right? This is what it means, right? If you want to have the, the soft talk, then maybe you should have 
become a psychologist or be a therapist yeah, yeah, or something exactly. like that, right? This yeah. is the workplace, right? We just, you know, we work through it. This is a crew. You gotta, you gotta hold your own. You know, and, and, sim and you know, just the simple toolbox terms. Like when we talk about something like this, is like some supervisors will tune up a guy. That's what they call it, tuning up sure. uh, in front of a group, and he thinks that he's achieved his goal of like really telling them, you know, who's the boss here and really driving it yeah. home. Meanwhile, that individual is now mentally crippled to some extent. You throw him back out there to do a job, sure. safety's impacted for sure, sure, and heaven forbid there's an accident. Sure. But unfortunately, these things happen. Yeah. Whereas I think the supervisor should have took the person aside, constructive criticism, and just said, hey man, like nine times out of 10, you're knocking out of the park, but today something's off. So what's mm -hmm. going on with you? You're not, yeah. you didn't do this, you didn't do that. What, instead of, and that's, I guess that's that breach of psychological safety because isolating somebody and shining a spotlight on them really doesn't do anything for the culture, doesn't do anything for the individual. And ultimately it makes, in my opinion, makes the supervisor look weak. You know, what's interesting about, it's true, and, and what's interesting is that as much as there are things you can say in a moment, um, it's about what you're doing consistently and predictably. So what I, what I mean by that is that uh, there's a thing with psychological safety where we'll say that it takes months to build and only seconds to destroy. Absolutely. So I can be telling you that you're safe, hey, I got your back, you know, we're a crew, we're like a family kind of thing, we're really super tight, and then all of a sudden when actually when the shit hits the fan, right? When we actually have it, an intense moment, if all of a sudden I find myself that I'm, I'm being the big dog or I'm insulting you or I'm criticizing you or I'm embarrassing you, basically pushing you down to raise myself up, then the psychological safety's gone, right? Right. Because safety, psychological safety, social emotional safety is a felt experience. We can't tell somebody that. It's a felt experience. And so when you have to, and you do that, through basically structure, consistency, and predictability on how you engage somebody, how you approach them, how you problem solve. So I can tell you all day long, hey, look, you got, I got your back. You can listen to me. I'm going to support you. But am I consistently doing that? Or am I only doing that when things are going really well, but then when things are sideways, that's why I'm going to push you down to raise myself up. Because really that moment, that's going to destroy whatever narrative you were trying to create, but didn't actually come to fruition. Gotcha. I wonder if we should talk about that, uh, that job I brought you in on all those years back when there was a definite breach, without a doubt. When the guys were, there was an incident that took place out in the unit, they mobilized to a safe, uh, safe place, mm. and uh, the supervisor came in, and you were on the job site and said, okay, boys, get back to work. And one of the guys raised his hand up and said, what happened? Yeah. And he got jumped on. Yeah, it was a really interesting situation because uh, it, it was a... It was related to, wasn't one of the incidents that occurred that was that hazardous waste and there was some exposure that had occurred? Yes, potential uh, hazardous, yeah. Yeah, so guys ended up getting exposed to some hazardous waste and uh, they were sick, right? And so there was, a, there was a fear that ended up happening within the place. Normally it happens at any place that involves with chemicals or any sort of hazardous materials. There's a certain level of exposure that can potentially happen. And so the guys were restless, right? Right, so yeah, so the incident took place prior to this. Yeah. And the guys were just saying, is this the same thing? Yeah. You know, are we going to go out there and get exposed? Yeah. Like, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. It was, it was interesting because part of that piece was that you had, you had, went, had to go to a meeting. Yeah. And so you had me go into this room, and it was a big, huge lunchroom area. And there probably was probably about 100 guys in there easily, right? So the, the sirens went off, said, hey, look, we got to go here until we can fix or remedy this particular concern that we have possible exposure. So everyone goes in there and they're waiting kind of thing. And so I wanted to introduce myself and let them know um, how they could, you know, engage me. They'll see me around, what I'm here for. So I stood up on a chair and I actually just spoke to the group and I started talking to them about what was, why I was there and that I was wanting to be able to bridge this, this gap kind of thing. And they're all kind of, they were, they were very pleasant with me, but they were kind of looking at me like, ah, you know, this gap is really huge here, right? The, between us and the, and the place that we're working at, there's this really big gap around what's going on. I don't think it's going to work. And then all of a sudden, the um, like you said, the plant guy came in. Um, he ended up approaching the group. Says, "Okay, back to work," kind of thing. And the one guy said, puts up his hand and he says right away, he says, "Well, he says, well, yeah, well, we're going to go in, but you know, what happened, right? Was it actually another exposure piece, or was it just like a false alarm kind of thing?" That was part of his question. And that guy that came in, he paused for a minute and he just simply said, oh, I don't know, you know, they said it was good, so it's back to work kind of thing. 
people were hesitant, right? People were hesitant to move. It's like, well, no, yeah, we just gonna, was it a real thing or what, what actually occurred? He wanted more information. And unfortunately, the plant guy, his position was, it's time to go back to work. You just gotta trust me. You just gotta trust me that I'm saying that it's safe. And this is a prime example to communicate that safety is a felt experience. It's like, I hear you saying that it's safe, but I don't feel very safe here. So he was looking for more information. Right, and um, he's entitled to it. He is, he right. is. And unfortunately, because it was in front of 100 guys, both guys, in particular the plant guy that was trying to get people on the floor, all of a sudden felt like, well, you're trying to do a stop work thing. This is a conflict. You're being a resistor. You're trying to cause an issue. And he wasn't trying to cause an issue. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about that is that on every job site, we talk about the fundamentals of safety. And one of them is you have the right to know. Mm. So he was merely asking the question, yeah. what's going on? But people have been potentially exposed previous to this is the second time, burnt once, uh, don't want to get burnt again. Yeah. Explain to me what the, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Then the next level would be, you have the right to participate. Well, let's have a conversation about this. Yeah. You know, what can I do to improve, to be safer back in that environment? If you tell me, then I, I'm an active participant in, in safety. Sure. And when the first one and two fail, then you have the right to refuse. But that supervisor was just going, hey, you're refusing to go to work. It's a yeah. work refusal and was blowing it out of control. Sure, sure. Meanwhile, the individual is just merely asking the question. And he has the right to know yeah. Yeah. what happened in there. Yeah. I think we begin by looking at you know, perspective taking um, and think that both guys are just trying to do their job. It raises the issue systemically, what's going on, right? That lets you know that while we can create maybe psychological safety in the moment by both guys kind of validating each other's experience and, and kind of honoring what the question is, it's greater than that. Because the guy that coming in from the plant, he's just like, you know, my job is to get guys on the floor as quickly as possible because time is money. And they've told me it's green light, they can go. He might not even have those answers and him asking that question, well, what was it? Was it a leak? Was it that? He might not know, but not wanting to, and may not feel safe enough to say, I don't have that answer. Let me get back to you. And that's a systemic issue, right? That's a systemic issue that that particular um, company at that time and given that dynamic wasn't considering. They made an incredible effort to be able to remedy the situation so it didn't replicate. But what they missed was the human experience piece that you might have to have repeated introduction and exposure, exposure probably the wrong word, um, added introduction and reassurance and knowledge about why this is safe. So we can start building back up that felt experience of safety. And you're right, you know, getting back to the supervisor, he may have been pushed into the fire, not sure. armed with the information yeah. or addressing a crowd kind of stressed out and just sort of said, you guys gotta get back to work. I don't wanna, I'm not a great public speaker, so these are my lines. Yeah, yeah. Go, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, you know, the young fellow probably was under a tremendous amount of pressure to yeah. get the guys back out. And you're right, he probably wasn't armed with the, the proper information to sure. deal with it. You know, sure. everyone and has stress, and that's, that's a right. good point. You got to look at it from every you know aspect. Sure. You know, the supervisor could have been in a horrible state of mind. Yeah. You know, pressure. I mean, that particular uh, place. Uh, I'm not too sure if it's true or not, but it's 600 bucks a minute when the unit's down. Mm. There you go. It's there you go. probably double, triple that now because that was a while ago. So yeah. big money, especially I, when you got a couple hundred guys standing around. Absolutely. Absolutely. A key aspect, and we're going to talk about this more in other episodes. When you're in that situation, you have two guys, you want to be able to name the dynamic and don't make it about the person, right? This isn't about Al and Tim who are having this, this conversation while well, Al's an asshole and Tim's being difficult. It's not about that. Let's name the dynamic. The dynamic is, is that we're feeling a little uneasy to going back in after there was already this previous issue with this hazard. So we, we'd like a little more information to feel comfortable. It's not about whether or not Al's gonna be the, the difficult guy and this guy being a resistant guy. We remove that and talk about, name the dynamic. And then it makes it much more palpable. It makes it much more about what's happening and less about this personalized issue. What's interesting is that so ultimately, that guy goes back to get more information, comes back, literally just said, get back to work kind of thing. Ultimately, everyone did go back to work. The guy that was asking the question yielded. Um, he didn't have to, but he did yield in that situation. And as soon as that guy left, I'm still standing on the chair, right, addressing the group, and this all happened right in front of me. And so everyone of a sudden stops, turns around, looks up at me like, 
we were just telling you there's a big gap there, um, there, Doc. What are you going to do about it? And so I just paused for a minute and said, yeah, that could have went better. Yeah. Everyone just busted out laughing kind of thing because it was just so intense sort of thing. And that guy pulled me aside afterwards, the supervisor, and they were saying that I was assisting with a stop work sort of situation. Once again, focusing on dynamics that were missing that human experience. It wasn't until we went to his boss that we were able to have a conversation as to what the dynamic was and remove the hurt egos that were along the way. And you know, I made hay out of that all day. Yeah. Because the first thing I said, you mean the individual has a right to know. Yeah. And that shut it right down. Yeah. I said, were you saying that all of a sudden these rights are waived in this yeah, magical yeah. place? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. You raised his hand, what happened? So what did happen? Sure. Let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, it was, it, you know, the guys did end up going back to work, but they certainly didn't have to. No. And realistically, the supervisor should have came back with the information and said, it was this, we got it addressed. You know, if you want to see proof, you want, you know, these are the things that we've done to make things safe for you to go back to work. But uh, again, pressure. Yeah. You know, yeah. everyone has it. So you and I have known each other for over 30 years. Yes. You're like one of my closest friends. We've known yep. each other forever and a day. One of those, uh, I know, I, when I describe it to people, I often say it's one of those close friends that uh, knows everything about you that you don't want everybody else to know about you, right? That kind of personal information, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, we knew before our careers and all that kind of stuff, right? Like in early, early 20s kind of we met. And uh, we've been able to have these conversations ongoingly and being able to have numerous jobs related to addiction, um, team building issues, lots of dynamics, this just being one of them. And we've had these conversations. And for years, we've had places say to us, we should be having this conversation so other people can hear it. Right. Because this is a way to be able to address it. And it, it doesn't work with just me being a clinician, addressing them in a vacuum. And it doesn't solely work with you just being uh, a construction trades guy solely talking about it. It's, it's the combination of the two. And we've been having these for years. And so I'm, I'm excited about it. Well, I've certainly leaned on you over the years. And uh, i got to, like, being honest, I mean, you really improved my game because I was looking at things fairly myopically mm -hmm. uh, in, mm -hmm. in the past. Like, I was very focused, you know. Yeah. And like you said, you know, Buddy did this, so he's an asshole. Mm -hmm. Instead of looking at what was driving that individual behave that way. Sure. And I sort of grew from our conversations into when I look at the attendance sheet and someone's missing every Tuesday, mm. having a conversation with a guy. And recently, a couple of years ago, I did have a conversation with a guy who was missing every Tuesday. Mm. And I sat, he was a young guy, and I said, what's going on with you? Every Tuesday you show up two hours late. Like, what, what's going on with you, son? Sure. Like, what's happening? And uh, if it was Friday, I could figure out paydays on Thursday, and then it would be sure, yeah, yeah, deductive yeah, reasoning, yeah. although I'm not a clinician. <laughs> but uh, he said, well, I'm a single parent, mm. and uh, that's the only day that my mom can't take care of my son. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we've yeah. got to fix this. Sure. So I said, how about on Tuesdays, you show up at 10, you've got plenty of time, don't worry about the time, we'll, we'll figure that out. Nudge, right. nudge, wink, wink. Right. That guy was over the moon. Mm. He's part of the team. Sure. Right. I got his back. Sure. And I do. Yeah. I still do. I yeah, still yeah. talk to the individual. So right. he's a good guy. Nice. And it's tough being a single parent. Yeah. And being a single parent and working full time. Sure. You're leaning on your parents to help yeah. you out, you know, just trying to make things right. Yeah. yeah. And this is where we realize that there are so many, you know, um, shades of our life, right? It's not just simply this is my work job and that's it, right? The reality is who we are as people, our friendships, our families, our personal dynamics, our mental health, all spills over into different contexts of our life. And so in order to be able to have the greater quality, to have that optimal experience, we must understand those, right? We have to have a consideration of that versus just having a hard line. I only understand you in this way for this amount of time. The reality is we spend majority of our lives with the people we work with, even sometimes even more so than even with family members, depending on what that, their availability is, right? If you have couples that are on different shifts or if you have the single parent piece, right? You, you have your kids for about you know, two, three, four hours in an evening that you're actually able to connect with and then it's off the bed and then right to the next day. You spend far more time with the people that you work with. Exactly, and if you're on a camp job, you're away for a week, oh, two yeah. weeks, 21 yeah. days, whatever yeah. the rotation is, mm -hmm. and then coming back into the family unit, yeah. you had to reintegrate in, because life's gone on without you. Yeah. You know, hey, mom, dad, you haven't been around for three weeks. Yeah. And you're kind of like a third wheel, and you feel it, you yeah. know? And it's tough, it's tough on your head. 
right? And then you have to go back out there, you know, back to the camp. Or you're working long hours. You know, you missed uh, graduation, you missed this, you missed that. Yeah. And you internalize it. It's tough. And for the people that are left behind, like in that situation with camps and stuff, it's hard to always appreciate what that commitment is to be able to work and to be able to have that support and what, how to have that disconnect. How do you hold that family system together? It's a great conversation for us to be able to talk about. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just simply looking at a situation where maybe everyone in the family is, is healthy and doing well and, and we think about it in this kind of optimal sort of way. And the reality is, is that numerous dynamics occur, right? People have challenges. People, kids and families and wives and, and husbands all have different dynamics that are going on with them. And we miss those pieces. You're right. The family's moving on and you're here, right? So that part of that reentry place is, is key. And it's not only key for that professional, but it's also for that family. It could be resentment on both sides. So resentment on the child, like why is my mom or dad leaving? Yeah. And then for the person bringing home the, the big paycheck going, mm-hmm. why aren't you happy? I'm working hard and look at all this stuff we can do with the money that I brought. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. So there's that dynamic that makes it tough. The, um, somebody the other day was just asking me how we first met. And I was trying to think about it. You know, it's been it's been like thirty years, right? So it's right, been, yeah. you know, and there's uh, so many. I mean, I think there was probably two or three times that we met in the very beginning. Yeah. Maybe the first two things we won't really mention too much, kind of thing. Well, <laughs> you know, it was it was those early. But I think you know one of the first times that really kind of got to know you is we're we're both working on the job. Yeah. Right. So we. Um, Good old Hydrodyne. Yeah, Hydrodyne. So it was yeah. an industrial cleaning company. Yeah. And uh, I was working on the vac side. And you were working on the water side, so high-pressure water wash. And I was industrial cleaning, so on the big hoses, right? And we lived in uh, Sarnia, so it was all Chemical Valley. So you're having to do the, uh, uh, you know, going into tanks that hadn't been opened in 25 years. And when you ask the guy what was in there, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't exactly. know what it is now, but you just got to clean it up. Exactly. And I, I mean, I got to give a shout-out to my cousins, uh, Eric and Red, for really drilling safety into me. It's come a long way. There's oh. no, there's no end oh goal for for safety. We all, yeah. there's always things we can do, and that's yeah. part of this podcast. But really, when I think about it, it was like we we're in the Stone Age with some yeah. of the stuff we were asked. Oh to yeah. Do. yeah, yeah. It was the Wild West back then, yeah. right? It was uh, they were a contractor. You were going in those environments. If you were able to get the job done as quickly as possible, it didn't matter how safe it was, but as quickly as possible, then you were going to get called the next day. And for us, yeah. we're in our early twenties. What were we thinking? Golden handcuffs, right? Yeah, exactly. it's, like, it's like, I got some money. I don't have exactly. to go to poor boy night at the yeah. local pub, right? I can buy a car. Yeah. I can actually take somebody out. We don't have to like meet there because I have to walk there. Right? Exactly. Yeah. You can actually afford a cab. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cool. You know I'm getting back to the safety piece, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, old Mac Kettle. Oh, and During yeah. this time yeah, period yeah. and him complaining about safety, he was yeah, like, yeah. I'm tired of all this safety crap. I don't know. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm looking at him. I'm thinking to myself, we need more safety, bro. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, this is crazy. Like, yeah. even then, like, I, when I left, when, when I dropped out of university yeah. and came back to Sarnia, um, like, I was doing a little bit of construction in Winnipeg at the time. No hard hat, no steel toe boots, yeah, yeah. no gloves, none of that stuff. Yeah. Just crawling around yeah. in crawl spaces yeah. and just trying and getting electrocuted every once in a while if my <laughs> cord hit the water. Then coming yeah. to Sarnia and then yeah. giving me a hard hat, giving me safety glasses and coveralls. I was like, I can't afford to pay for this. And buddy goes, right, no, right. it's it's yours. You yeah, can, yeah. Just yeah. when you dirty the coveralls, bring them back. My right, mind right. was blown. Right, right. right. And at Hydrodyne, we got uh, we got boots and we got our slickers and stuff like that. It's just like, I was in heaven. I didn't have to pay for this stuff. Right. But then talking to Cousin Eric and Cousin Red, um, they let me know quite quickly that there's more that I could do. If they say, ah, you don't wear a mask, put a mask on. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't yeah. listen to that. Yeah. 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 Sp- speaking of which, when talking about the equipment and having to buy it, I can't help but think about uh, if you did lose your equipment, right? So for, for that company, because they were just, like I say, it was the Wild West. That's right. If you lost something. Yeah. Then you yeah. had to pay for You're going to be in trouble, right? It, like you were, your, it got put out of your check. Yeah. And talk about no psychological safety. That was, I mean, what are, what are you even talking about? We didn't even understand ourselves, no. right? So, um, and uh, I remember, I still remember when we were just getting to know each other kind of thing. And we were at that one place and there was that huge pit. And the supervisor comes out. And the supervisor at the time, his name was Shaky. And Shaky was a, a great guy, great supervisor kind of thing. Certainly. But he had a temper, right? Like yeah. he would drop drop of a hat, he would fight you, 
and anybody that was with you, he would on just fight job. you. On the job. On the job, full on fist fights. I mean, that's, yeah. we grew up in a blue collar town kind of thing and lived that kind of, uh, that's the way it works, right? I mean, my dad always worked in a refinery, so I didn't know anything else other than that sort of, that kind of lifestyle. And I remember us standing there, he brings brand new gloves and we're standing over the pit, and, and, and you've got to hold your gloves. And for whatever reason, whatever is happening kind of thing, you drop your gloves into the pit. Brand new gloves, they're going in, like, oh, that's going to cost you. And Shaky just freaking on you. Yeah, just flipping it. right out. Yeah. I mean, he just, I mean, talk about trying to shame you. I mean, it was beyond. I mean, it was going to be a full-on piece. Yeah. And I remember you standing there right back then. We, we both had long hair. Imagine that. Yeah, when we had hair. When we had hair, yeah. yeah. We both had long hair. And I remember you standing there with your hair kind of thing, and you were just very quiet. And you just leaned over and looked at him, or looked down at him kind of thing. Because he was he's still a tall guy, but not, not as big as yourself. And you just looked down at him and said, how about I uh, rip off your arms, take your gloves, and then I throw your arms in the pit. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he just stops for a second. And he's like, okay. But he's gone, and then, yeah. And then he just left kind of thing. But I, I think about that moment, and I think about those dynamics, and uh, that was like every day. That was always the case. Yeah. Right? That was always. And not everyone was going to have that dynamic to be able to get there, right? And I, I might have sounded like I was really cool when I said it, but I was pretty nervous because this guy, oh, yeah. like he would literally uh, oh, go yeah. at you. Oh, yeah. You know, Go I've on. seen him shove guys. Oh, yeah. You know, stuff that you'd yeah. never, hopefully never see in a job site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know it's funny that you mentioned that. It was uh, when I got into the apprenticeship a few years later. Um, I actually, there was two brothers arguing on the steel. Mm. Um, it wasn't very high off the ground. High enough that if you fell, you'd get hurt. One shoved the other one. Mm. And uh, two iron workers, I guess I yeah, can say yeah. that. There you go, yeah. They uh, grabbed their spud wrenches and they were trying to beat each other with the wrenches. So one brother had his other brother's hand keeping it away from getting hit and they're both trying to wrestle it. And uh, I remember uh, the superintendent coming out of his shack and just screaming at him. Yeah, yeah. You know, get out of here. And meanwhile, they were rolling back and forth over uh, all kinds of sharp stuff. They got puncture wounds in their back. And within 10 minutes later, they're laughing and slapping each other on the shoulders. And I thought maybe I was in a Stooges skit for a second, right, like, right. which is crazy, you know. And I'm glad that you know that type of stuff doesn't happen today. You know, yeah. really. I mean, when you think about the stuff that we've seen when we first started off, it was uh, challenging, and psychological safety out the window. I mean, like for us, we we're making a big check. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I was really happy with the paychecks and all the rest of that stuff because we could afford to do things. Mm-hmm. But as you know, you go along, you start seeing the impact how how it has on people. It's uh, I'm glad that uh, safety's improved yeah, significantly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's even, not even just about those, I think back to those, you know, us as being young guys kind of thing. It would have been so helpful to have somebody give us a little more perspective. And even though you might not have taken all that advice, right, because you're young, you're like, ah, you know, I can, I can just, you know, go all night, it's not a problem kind of thing. It would have been helpful if there was a, um, a culture, a culture or a narrative that was in support of, hey, look, you know, you're going to be the next generation moving forward here, right? This is how you kind of balance these things. Sure, you can have fun. Sure, you can do this here. But, yeah, we're going to be safe, and we're going to work as a crew, and we're going to have each other's back. And in turn, we can still make a lot of money. We can still have a good time. And we're going to do so in a way in which uh, we all make it to the end, right? Because at the end, we talk about some of these scenarios, and um, we can have some humor with it. The reality is, is that people can get incredibly hurt. Um, people can die. And I think, well, there was quite a few guys that didn't make it, right? There's guys on the crew that, um, you know, were just fraught with, I didn't know it at the time, um, fraught with anxiety, right? Overwhelmed by the pressure, right? Getting smacked around, right? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. We took pressure with the job, pressure with Scott Air Tanks. Um, I remember I had a scary experience with um, Scott Air Tank in which it wasn't a, an independent unit. It was all the hoses going out. I was inside a tank. And uh, one of the guys that was with me, he couldn't handle being in the tank. It was a claustrophobic thing. And uh, there was sludge all in, the, in the, the tank. And that was our job, is to be able to suck it up. And I was halfway through the tank. And to get to the manhole, all there was was just this kind of hole at the end to, to get out. Um, you had to walk a long distance. It was like walking through incredibly deep mud. But it's sludge. And you can't get anything on you because you would get chemical burn. And I remember he ended up, 
getting out because he couldn't handle it. For whatever reason, somebody on the outside, um, maybe they thought they were turning off his hose, but they turned off my hose. And all of a sudden, my Scott Air mask went to my face. And you can't take it off because there's chemicals in there, right? You can't, I, I don't know what it is. I asked them, nobody knows what it is. So now it's a full-on run. So I'm exerting even more uh, air and um, finally just doing literally the dive, right? The old Superman Scooby-Doo dive out the thing there just to be able to get out and then ripping my mask off. And uh, I remember in particular, the guy that was running the, the truck that day was just, uh, we'll say he was unfavorable. Anyways, he thought it was very funny. Oh, yeah, look what happened. Yeah, I must have gone the wrong thing. Oh, well, it's fine kind of thing. And I was, I was plenty pissed. And uh, it kind of resulted in a difficult situation. Um, but I remember the next day. I remember the next day going back and having, not understanding what was happening for me, but I had incredible anxiety. I had no way to express it. I didn't want to say anything, right? I didn't have anybody to chat with about it. I remember experiencing a lot of anxiety and literally putting back on that mask, going in the tank, and having, in retrospect, somewhat of a panic attack, right? Just kind of feeling that experience while being in there and being mindful. That whole half week, I worked the whole part of the tank that was closest to the hole. So if it did happen again, I was getting out. And I just slowly worked my way out. So that way I wasn't running through sludge. I eventually worked it through. But it was only because, you know, you and I were hanging out and I had other friends on the crew that we were, not that we were talking about it, but I knew that they were enduring similar things. And so I had a level of connection with it. But it easily, a lot of guys weren't able to have those experiences, right? And it just went sideways for them and they and caused a lot of danger. You know, this is at a time when uh, there was escape packs available, but we certainly didn't have them. No. You know, no. and uh, you were seconds away from being a statistic. Yeah. Because a lot of guys experienced that. And really the guy outside the hole, the safety watch, yeah, yeah. really wasn't doing his job properly. No, no. And that's why, again, I'm glad that things have improved significantly. Yes. Because now we do have escape packs, yeah. Yeah. you know, and we don't shove kids in a hole without uh, telling them what's really going on. Like, you didn't, yeah. like we didn't have like a blueprint on how to actually do that particular job. Just go oh, in yeah. there and suck it up. Yeah. You yeah. can start anywhere. Yeah. And I think the smart thing is, is starting around the hole to clear out that area because you were wearing like a, I think it was a Spartan suit. Yeah. Because the chemicals were so rough yeah. Yeah. that if it did have any, any on your skin, it wouldn't yeah. burn the heck out of you. They actually improved our gear. Um, over the couple of days, only because one of the guys got a chemical burn on his arm. Right. And so all of a sudden we had to have the bigger gloves and they were doing the duct tape and kind of mm. sealing it all up because they didn't realize what was in there sort of thing. I remember that what, oh, another what? job where yeah. it was uh, similar where the guy was claustrophobic mm. and uh, you were hooking the uh, chunks of rubber out of the bottom oh, right, of the tank. Right, yeah. And I was inside cutting and they, they put this guy in. I think he was from the backside coming onto the water side. And uh, I could tell immediately something wasn't right. So I, we weren't wearing any masks. We were told mm -hmm. it was fine, although we probably should have been. Sure. But uh, we're cutting up these big slabs of rubber. And I looked at him, he was pale. And I said, bro, what's going on, man? He goes, I'm claustrophobic. And I said, you gotta get out of here. Mm -hmm. Like, you, I can't yeah. have you in here. We got yeah. 10,000 PSI coming off the end of this uh, lance. You know, yeah. you don't wanna be handling that standing yeah. on this slippery rubber, you know, yeah. being, you know. Yeah. I didn't know what anxiety was. Sure, sure, sure. And the, the poor guy, 24-inch uh, man wave standard, he was a bigger bigger fellow, especially with the raincoat on and the boots mm. and all the gear, got stuck. Like yeah. He kind of swelled up. Mm. And uh, now I'm in the hole. Ah. And that's, uh, you know, bent in, bent out. There's only water going out the bottom, right. and my fresh air was coming out from outside, right, right. which is now blocked. Right, right. And he's stuck. And he's stuck. Oh, man. And he's panicking. Wow. Yeah, so that was uh, that was a tough day. Yeah, which again, I'm glad I got an apprenticeship after that because yeah. uh, that was a rough, rough gig. Sure. I'm looking forward to having these conversations, right? And uh, I think it's important. What I'm most looking forward to is for people to be able to understand that, even though um, I'm a doctor, I'm not their doctor. But if we can have a conversation that has people want to continue this conversation with a local therapist or a local physician or with their supervisor or their company, their, through their EPA, that's what we want, right? We want this conversation to stay alive and not just simply be an episode, right? Because we don't know people's individual experiences. We don't know certain dynamics that they have. But if we can understand or have like a methodology with which they can break things down, 
problem solve and also find what those ingredients are that have them achieve that optimal experience, then that optimal experience of their happiness, their flow won't be fleeting. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most with this. Same here. So thanks very much for watching. Uh, thank you, Jim. Jim, I really appreciate you, and I'm so glad that we're doing this together. Thank you, Dr. D. There you go. All right. That's awesome. Hi, guys. My name is Jim Watson, a.k.a. The Construction Guy. And one of the things I like about this podcast in particular is that we want to support a positive culture, not only for individuals, but the company itself. Mm -hmm. And as you've probably figured out by now, I love stories. I love telling my stories, but also love hearing stories. And if you feel like sharing your stories with us, we would love to hear it. But I'd ask you to keep the names, the places, the you know, we just want to hear the situation and uh, we'll have the good doctor here dissect it mm -hmm. and uh, give you a point of view from a mm -hmm. clinical uh, way. It'd be great to be able to hear from people. And we also want you to recognize that your individual experiences, we don't necessarily know all the details with it. We're describing stories. We're hoping it's relatable to you. And we're also hoping that it gives you a level of comfort and an opportunity to continue this conversation with somebody else, right? So if you want to talk with your, your colleagues or your, your supervisor or your family or your friends, find local resources to continue this conversation because I feel that this is a, a great opportunity to be able to move yourself forward and to be able to expand. At the end of the day, our wellness cannot be something we keep secret. We have to educate others as to what we need and want in order to ultimately be successful. Exactly. Communication is key. Yeah. Talking it out. Excellent. Right on. Really want to thank you guys for watching, taking your time to pay attention to us, banter back and forth. Look forward to hearing how you've uh, manifested your flow, how you've been able to do your act of wellness, and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you at some point. Have a good one.